0: Lord, we just look to you and we love you. God, we thank you for your love. It is everything, Lord. It's who you are. It's the reason we're here. It's the reason we worship and live, God. And we just give you praise. And Lord, we just pray, God, that today, Lord, as we look into your word and as we talk about your love, God, that it would transform our lives like never before. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Awesome. What a a great song. And it's such an appropriate song for what I'm going to talk about today, because I'm going to talk to you about the love of God today. And uh, let me just echo what Pastor Darren said. If you're a guest this morning, so good to have you. My name's Kyle. I'm the young adult pastor here. And uh, as the old saying goes, all good things must come to an end. And this is my last day with you as, a, as an official uh, member of the staff. Now, my family, we're going to be here for several more weeks. We'll be here until June the 7th, but but this is our last day as official staff members, and uh, I have to start out with gratitude and appreciation. I'm so appreciative to so many, and and that starts with Pastor, pastor D, uh, because he took a, a chance on me, a young pastor, and it's one thing to take a chance on a young pastor, but when it's your son-in-law, you better know that you're getting it right because if he strikes out or fails then then you really look bad. So, I understand uh what kind of trust he put in me when he brought me on staff here and for that I'm very appreciative. Thank you so much. And to the staff, the staff has become like my family. Really, I mean, um I look forward to lunch every day with the staff. It's one of my uh most favorite things that I do every day. They're just they're just so cool. They're just good people, just fun. People to be around and I look forward to I always did look forward to going in every day and just being with them and, and just living life with them, you know, just sharing life and uh, then to the board and for everyone who served on the board uh, while I was here. Um, thank you so much for also putting trust and believing in the, the young adults of this church, supporting the young adults of this church and and wanting the young adult ministry to thrive and succeed. Uh, it's because of your support that uh, we were able to do a lot of what we we were able to accomplish. And this is not the end. This is just a transition. And then to everybody, to, to all of you who are personal friends, to everybody who's ever given and poured into my life in any way, uh, thank you so much. I really do love this church. I can honestly say that Fayetteville is my most favorite place that I've ever lived, and Trinity Fellowship is by far my favorite church, and I have a feeling that it always will be. It's always going to be home. This this area is always going to be home. And and uh, so it's it's bittersweet that we're moving on. But, you know, we just really know that this is what God has. And we just want to be obedient. Amen. Because there's, uh, there's nothing greater than to walk in God's will and to do what he wants you to do. Well, there's something that I've seen other pastors do. And uh, I've always wanted to do it. And so since today is my last day, I guess I'm going to do this. I mean... I can't get fired, technically, right? Um, but I want to take a picture with you guys as a way of making a memory. Have you ever seen a pastor take a selfie from the platform? Well, it's about to happen right now. Is Heather in here yet? Because I was going to invite her. She's not. All right. Well, too bad. I guess it's just going to be me in the picture. So, all right. Are you guys ready? So, smile real big. Everybody squeeze in. Really, this is more about... This is more about me than you, so. um, All right, you're squeezed in. Hang on, let me turn the camera around. I know you're not supposed to ever turn your back on the audience, but for this one time. All right, ready? Here we go. One, two, three, smile, big, go. All right. (laughs) Thanks, guys. (laughs) All right. Well, would you pray with me this morning? Father, we look to you. God, as we get ready to go into your word, and we ask that you would speak. Lord, we ask that you would move by the Holy Spirit. You would fill our hearts. You would enlighten us. You would stretch us and challenge us. God, you would change us so that when we leave this place, we would not be the same. We would be better for you in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 43. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, and hold your place because we will get there eventually and we will read together. But I have a proposal for you this morning. I propose to you this morning that based on Christ's teaching of the greatest commandment that loving God and loving people as Christ loved is our greatest calling given to us by God. I'll say that again. I propose to you this morning that based on Christ's teaching of the greatest commandment, that loving God and loving people as Christ loved is our greatest calling that has been given to us by God. It is also the greatest service and act of obedience that we can offer God. The love of Christ, I believe, is the spring from which all of our service and our obedience flow. I also propose to you that loving as Christ loved is the path that leads us to the most grace, peace, and joy-filled life possible. There's only one problem with this. Loving like Christ is the most difficult thing in the world to do. Why? Because it demands that we love our enemies. Without love for our enemies, we do not possess or practice the love of Christ, period. God requires of us a love that we do not naturally possess so that we will stay humble and dependent upon him. This love that I'm speaking of in the Greek language is called agape love. It is the love that is of God and from God. It is the love that is God. Other forms of love, while beneficial, are all conditional. Agape love alone is unconditional. You know, English is really a terrible language to describe love. Because there's only one word for it. Love. But in the Greek, there are four words for love. There is agape. And when we use it as defining the love of God, it means unconditional, complete, selfless and sacrificial love. Then there is phileo, which means affectionate regard or friendship from that's where we get Philadelphia brotherly love or the city of brotherly love. That's where that word comes from. Then there's eros, which is sexual, passionate love as between a husband and a wife. And then there's storge, which means love and affection, especially of a parent for their child. I wanted to give these definitions to you so that as I continue to talk about love this morning, you can know that I am referring to agape love, to that godlike love, without having to continue to uh, clarify that. Because that's our focus this morning. Agape love. Now, essence, essence is the indispensable nature and quality of something. And the essence of agape love, as I have said, is self sacrifice, its unconditional nature. And unlike our English word for love, agape is not used in the Bible to refer to romantic or sexual love, nor does it refer to close friendship or brotherly love, for which the Greek word phileo is used. Agape also does not mean charity, a term which the King James Version translates from Latin. Agape love is unique and is distinguished by its nature and its character. The Apostle John affirms this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, when he says God is agape, God is love. God does not merely love, he is love itself. Everything that God does flows from his love. But again, it is important to remember that God's love is not a sappy, sentimental love such as we often hear portrayed. God loves because that is his nature and the expression of his being. He loves the unlovable, namely us. Not because we deserve to be loved, but because it is his nature to love us. And he must be true to his nature and his character. God's love has been displayed most clearly at the cross where Christ died. For unworthy creatures who were, as Ephesians 2, 1 says, dead in trespasses and sins. Not because we did anything to deserve it, but God commends his love towards us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8. The object of God's agape love never does anything to merit that love because it is unconditional. And we are those undeserving recipients upon whom God has lavished his love. And for that, we say glory to God. It is the love of God, church, that has caused him to save us. And it is that love that captivates our hearts and our imaginations. It is that love that transforms us. It empowers us by grace and it serves as our ultimate goal and achievement in life. You know, growing up in church, I've heard a lot of sermons. I have sang a lot of songs. I've sang hymns, choruses, anthems, and anything else you can think of. I've seen manifestations of the Holy Spirit, tongues and interpretation, prophecy, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, healing, hospitality, administration. And it was all very beneficial. But nothing has changed my life for the better, more so than the love of God and those who have loved me with a Godlike love. Jesus on the cross, dying for me and my sins, is the anchor of my soul and it is the foundation of my life. And then I think about my mother and my father and their patient and constant sacrificial love. I think about my wife's loyal and steadfast love, my children's unconditional love for me, even when I fail as a parent. I think about the love of friends who don't require me to be anybody except me because they love me for who I am. This is what is most meaningful in my life. This is what makes me want to be a better man and to love others like Jesus has loved me. But these loves that I have described are only a part of the agape love equation. The other side of this coin, if you will, is what Jesus describes in his sermon on the mount in Matthew chapter five, verses forty three through forty eight. So look there again with me and let's read. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. It says, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Jesus asked the crowd, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? And the obvious answer to that rhetorical question is, None. Jesus goes on. He says, do not even the tax collectors, people who are known to be sinners, the worst of the worst in the Jewish mind of Jesus day. He said, do not even they do the same. Do not the Gentiles which in the, the, the Jewish understanding were, were people without God. When you said Gentiles, the Jews thought about people who don't know God. Jesus saying, do not people who don't even know God do the same? Don't they love those who love them? Of course they do. See, Jesus is calling for more than the status quo. He's calling for more than we can do in our own power when it comes to love. He is pushing us to perfection, to be perfect as our heavenly father is perfect. This is the goal because no one understands the power of the love of God like Jesus. And he wants us to have and know that power too. But I'm afraid, church. I'm afraid that for many different reasons, believers today are severely neglecting the more difficult side of the love equation. And I think that it has serious implications for the church going forward. I believe that it's a big part of what is creating the condition of the culture that we're in. You see, I expect animosity from the culture to the church. But what saddens me is that I often see as much or more animosity from the church back to the culture. We're not loving our enemies very well. According to Jesus, without loving our enemies, we act no differently Than people without God. Church. We have got to get over the fight. To be right. We already know that we're right. So when we constantly argue with people over the fact. It makes us look small. Petty and insecure. See there's a difference in arguing. And in speaking the truth in love. We must always defend our faith in a way that reflects Christ. We have got to realize, church, that political activism doesn't win people. Winning Facebook arguments doesn't win people. Gloating over won elections and successful repeals doesn't win people. But loving our enemy with agape love does win people don't agree with me well let's take jesus as our example what did jesus do when the religious leaders of israel accused him of blasphemy with the threat of death he spoke the truth yes but he didn't fight them didn't resist them he didn't send his disciples away to go gather a band of his followers to come and attack the establishment Yes, Jesus often put them in their place by revealing their motives and their evil intentions, but he didn't take judgment into his own hands at that time. Yes, he will return as a judge, but that time hasn't come yet. It was not the time for judgment, and now is not the time for judgment. And we definitely don't sit in the judge's seat. What about when he was condemned by the Romans? He first stood silent, refusing to even offer a defense to his accusers and to Pilate. And finally, after Pilate urged him, saying, hey, tell me something. Don't you realize that I have the power to kill you or set you free? He said, you have no power over me unless it was given to you from above. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. Otherwise, my disciples would be here fighting. My kingdom is of another world. In other words, Jesus kept displaying his love for his father by trusting him. He kept speaking the truth. He kept loving even his enemies, but he didn't attack them. He didn't organize a resistance. He didn't slander them. Jesus continued loving all the way to the cross where he prayed for those who put him there. His submission to the will of the father in dying was the ultimate display of love for all of humanity. What must we learn from this church? Fighting for our rights as Americans takes a backseat to loving our enemies as citizens of God's kingdom. I'm going to say that again. Fighting for our rights as Americans takes a back seat to loving our enemy as citizens of God's kingdom. We're only temporary citizens of America, but we will forever be citizens of the kingdom of God. See, persecution is here, and persecution is going to continually increase. The answer is not further isolating ourselves from those who wish to destroy us, which is what happens when we only engage unbelievers in hostility, but rather to throw ourselves in their midst to serve and love them because there is no other way to win them. It's really quiet in here because I know this is a difficult message. And I'm preaching it on my last day for a reason. You see, this message, guys, this message is probably more for me than anybody else in here. Because I've struggled inwardly with this battle of how to respond to a culture that's turned its back on God. And this is a conclusion I've come to. Because, see, I used to be on Facebook all the time trying to win arguments. I used to every time I turn on the news and see something that offended me. I used to just get mad, get so worked up like Heather. Can you believe this mess? Look at what they're doing now. Look at those people. Holy Spirit convicted me. He said you would be one of those people if not for my grace. They're no different than you. They're people who need me. And I want you to go love them. Forget about your rights. Forget about your comfort. Go love them. I'll put my spirit in you. I'll give you peace. I'll give you joy. I'll give you everything you need. I'll sustain you. If you'll love them. See, the church is now in a state in America where it has lost much of its influence. And it will not gain it back through anything but loving like Christ. We need a revival of divine love in the body of Christ. Love that acts, love that serves, love that is willing to suffer, love that puts the needs of unbelieving people first. Jesus never said it was going to be easy, guys. You see, the nation will be watching as persecution intensifies. I haven't watched the news in a while, so I don't know what's going on in the Supreme Court with the same sex marriage issue. But depending on what comes of that, it's very likely that the government could could literally take away the church's tax exempt status one day. And try to punish the church and and choke the life out of the church financially. You know what? That doesn't scare me at all. Call me crazy. I'm not afraid of that. Because the church is not money, it's not buildings. Yes, God uses money to advance His kingdom, but it's none of those things. The church is us, it's the people. You can't stop the movement, you can't stop the body of Christ because Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. So it doesn't matter what anybody else says, Jesus already said it and His words will not pass away. They will come to pass. So we don't have to be afraid. I'm actually thankful because it looks like we're going to be afforded the opportunity to actually love somebody like Jesus. Because, see, in in an environment where there is no persecution, where there is no suffering, where there is no pressure, it's very unlikely that we will be pushed to get out there and to love people like Jesus because we get comfortable, we get complacent. But when the pressure is put on us, we find out what's on the inside. And so the nation is going to be watching us. As persecution intensifies and if and if they hear and they see rage coming from the church when the pressure is applied, then they're going to determine that that's what we're made of. And if that's what comes out, then maybe they're right. And maybe we need to repent. But if they squeeze us, they persecute us and the love of Jesus comes flowing back out onto them love for our enemies, prayer for our persecutors, service for those who seek our destruction, it will utterly shock them. And as the apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verses 14 through 21, we will bless those who persecute us. He said, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's the answer. You see, church, it's very difficult to keep hating someone who truly loves you. It's very difficult to not be affected by someone who keeps on serving you. And maybe the hour is at hand when God will give us the honor of suffering for his sake. You're like, man, you sound crazy. What do you mean honor for suffering? Just open up your Bible. See, see how the disciples felt about suffering. When they were whipped and beat and drugging and before courts, they said, We've, we counted an honor to suffer for the name of Jesus. Maybe God will give us the same honor. And we will have the opportunity to overcome evil with good. But we must remember in all this, church, that the only way we'll be able to do this is with God's help. In order to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to love, we have got to return to the fundamentals of our faith. We must again read and study the Bible. We must pray. Diligently, we must serve. We must make disciples and we must find ways to make friends with unbelievers. We've got to get out of our comfort zones. Because if we don't love our enemies, then we haven't loved like Jesus. Not my words, his words. If you only love those who love you, what different? How how are you different from anybody else in the world? You're not. If we don't love like Jesus, then our witness won't change the world because the distinguishing characteristic of the love of Christ is that it's love for enemies. And that's why Christ stands head and shoulders above all humanity, because he loved in a way like no one ever had. And the same should be said about his followers. He told his disciples by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. This is the essence of our faith. This is the foundation upon which it is built. And as I leave you with one final message, there is nothing more important in my mind in which I could encourage you to do than to love like Christ. Both your brothers and your sisters in Christ and especially your enemy. See, we are living in desperate and deceitful days. The answer is, for the church is for every follower of Christ to raise up, to take their cross into the fray and to agape love the world. Give up the idea that the world will be one to Christ through politics, Facebook or any other means. It will only be through obedience to God's word that real change will come to our world. It may begin with a smile. With an unexpected invitation to dinner, maybe it starts through helping your neighbor in their yard or buying a coworker an unexpected birthday present maybe it's an invitation to your connect group and a, and welcoming that person in letting them belong right away even if they're not a believer maybe it's an encouraging text message or praying with someone before they have a job interview or babysitting the neighbor's kids so that the parents can go on a date. Maybe it looks like any of these things. That's just the beginning. It's also praying for our persecutors, letting someone who has hurt us so deeply know that we forgive them, serving sectors of the community that think that Christians hate them and proving that we don't. Doing good in a genuine way to those who hate or harm us. This is what the Holy Spirit will use to change people's hearts one at a time. And it is our honor and our privilege to be able to do it. To illustrate the power of this love, I'm going to share with you an episode from the life of a man named Gary Ridgway. Gary Ridgway was known as the Green River Killer. He was initially convicted of 48 separate murders. Eventually, the convictions came up to 49, making him the most prolific American serial killer in the history of this nation. And before he was sentenced, he was forced to sit and hear the statements of the family members of the women whom he murdered. It was pretty much what you would expect. And he sat there stone faced, unmoved. Then someone offered him something that he least expected. I want you to watch this. as victims' relatives damned him and mocked him. He's an animal. I wish for him to have a long, suffering, cruel death. He's going to go to hell, and that's where he belongs. But then the emotionless facade finally cracked when the father of one of his victims appeared to surprise him with a dose of human kindness. Mr. Ridgeway, um there are people here that hate you I'm not one of them you've you've made it difficult to live up to what I believe and that is what God says to do and that's to forgive you are forgiven sir I can't tell you that I could do what that man did. I would like to think that I could. But the point is that it was only the power of divine love that moved him. He still deserves to be punished. It doesn't excuse what he did. But a heart so hard as that man, if it can be moved by the love of God, Any heart can be moved and any heart can be changed. And here's the awesome news about that love, church. It doesn't just change other people's hearts. It changes our hearts. As I said earlier, there there are many facets to this agape love equation. One part of it is for our own benefit because loving like this is what releases us from our pain our problems, our own pitfalls. It leads us to the feet of the faithful and loving shepherd. And it makes us to lie down in green pastures where we find peace. There is nothing like the love of Jesus. It would be our greatest pleasure and achievement to know it and practice it as fully as possible in this life. And my prayer for you, Trinity Fellowship, is that you may have the privilege of knowing the love of Christ. Because compared to knowing him, all things are worthless. I'm going to ask for Neil to come back. And I'm going to ask for our prayer team to get in place as you all would please stand with me this morning as we get ready to close. If the prayer team would make their way to the front and get ready to receive people to pray with them, I would appreciate that. Here in just a few moments, Pastor Neil is going to begin to lead us again. And when he does, the altars are open. If you're here today and you need Jesus, then these people are ready to pray with you so that you can receive him today. And Jesus loves you. He loves you unconditionally. He's ready to receive you. He's ready to forgive you, cleanse you of all your sin and put you on the path to heaven. And if you're ready to confess your sin and your need for him and trust in what he did on the cross, then that's about to happen. All you'll have to do is step out and come down here and we're going to pray with you. And if you find yourself here and this message has moved you and you realize that your heart has grown hard or cold, you realize after listening to the word of God today, that you don't have this kind of love for people, this agape love, but you desperately want it, then I also would ask you to to respond in some way, whether it be coming and kneeling at the altars, standing around the front, kneeling in your seat, whatever it is, please respond. As I said to you at the beginning, there is nothing greater than, that we could do than to love like Jesus. There's nothing greater. It's our goal in life, guys, to love God and love people like Jesus loved. That's the essence of what our faith is all about. And so before I leave you this morning, I want to share a few more words. Words from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. What is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power that is at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and forever, amen God bless you guys